Hi everyone, um, I'm Leela. I'm a student listener in Bancroft. I live in Philadelphia, um, and I'm going to be reading a piece by Audre Lorde called The Uses of Anger, Women Responding to Racism from 1981. Um, okay, here I go. <laughs> Racism. The belief in the inherent superiority of one race over all others and thereby the right to dominance manifest and implied. Women respond to racism, excuse me. My response to racism is anger. I have lived with that anger, ignoring it, feeding upon it, learning to use it before it laid my visions to waste for most of my life. Once I did it in silence, afraid of the weight, my fear of anger taught me nothing. Your fear of that anger will teach you nothing also. Women responding to racism means women responding to anger. Anger of exclusion, of unquestioned privilege, of racial distortions, of silence, ill use, stereotyping, defensiveness, misnaming, betrayal, and co-optation. My anger is response to racist attitudes and to the action and presumptions that arise out of those attitudes. If your dealings with other women reflect those attitudes, then my anger and your attendant fears are spotlights that can be used for growth in the same way I have used learning to express anger for my growth, but for corrective surgery, not guilt. Guilt and defensiveness are bricks in a wall against which we flounder. They serve none of our futures. Because I do not want this to become a theoretical discussion, I'm going to give a few examples of interchanges between women that illustrate these points. In the interest of time, I'm going to cut them short. I want you to know there were many more. For example, I speak out of direct and particular anger at an academic conference, and a white woman says, tell me how you feel, but don't say it too harshly or I cannot hear you. But is it my manner that keeps her from hearing, or the threat of a message that her life may change? The Women's Studies Program of a Southern University invites a black woman to read following a week-long forum on black and white women. What has this week given to you, I ask. The most vocal white woman says, I think I've gotten a lot. I feel black women really understand me a lot better now. They have a better idea of where I'm coming from. As if understanding her lay at the core of the racist problem. After 15 years of a woman's movement, which professes to address the life concerns and possible futures of all women, I still hear on campus after campus, how can we address the issues of racism? No women of color attended. Or the other side of that statement, we have no one in our department equipped to teach their work. In other words, racism is a black woman's problem, a problem of women of color, and only we can discuss it. After I read from my work entitled Poems for Women in Rage, a white woman asks me, are you going to do anything with how we can deal directly with our anger? I feel it's so important. I ask, how do you use your rage? And then I have to turn away from the blank look in her eyes before she can invite me to participate in her own annihilation. I do not 
exists to fuel her anger for her. White women are beginning to examine their relationships to black women, yet I often hear them wanting to only deal with the little C-word children across the roads of childhood, the beloved nursemaid, the occasional second grade classmate, those tender memories of what was once mysterious and intriguing or neutral. You avoid the childhood assumptions formed by the Rasha's idea at Rasta's and Alfafa. The acute message of your mommy's handkerchief spread a Upon the park bench because I had just been sitting there. The indelible and dehumanizing portraits of Emos and Andy and your daddy's humorous bedtime stories. I wheel my two-year-old daughter in a shopping cart through a supermarket in Eastchester in 1967 and a little white girl riding past her in her mother's cart calls out excitedly, oh look mommy, a baby maid. And your mother shushes you but does not correct you. And so 15 years later at a conference on racism, you can still find that story humorous, but I hear your laughter is full of terror and disease. A white academic welcomes the appearance of a collection by non-black women of color. It allows me to deal with racism without dealing with the harshness of black women, she says to me. At an international cultural gathering of women, a well-known white American poet interrupts the reading of the work of women of color to read her own poem and then ashes off to an important panel. If women in the academy truly want a dialogue about racism, it will require recognizing the needs and living contexts of other women. When an academic woman says, I can't afford it, she may mean she is making a choice about how to spend her available money. But when a woman on welfare says, I can't afford it, she means she is surviving on an amount of money that was barely substance in 1972, and she often does not have enough to eat. Yet the National Women's Studies Association here in 1981 holds a conference on which it commits itself to responding to racism, yet refru refuses to waive the registration fee for poor women and women of color who wished to present and conduct workshops. This has made it impossible for many women of color, for instance, Wilma Brown of Black Women for Wages for Housework, to participate in this conference. Is this to be merely another case of the Academy discussing life within the closed circuits of the Academy? To the white women present who, who recognize these attitudes as familiar, but most of all to my sisters of color who live and survive thousands of such encounters, and to my sisters of color who, like me, still tremble their rage under harness, or who sometimes question the expression of our rage as useless and disruptive, the two most popular accusations. I want to speak about my anger, my anger and what I have learned from my travels through its dominions. Everything can be used, except what is wasteful you will need to remember this when you are accused of destruction. Every woman has a well-stocked arsenal of anger potentially useful against those oppressions, personal and institutional, which brought that anger into being. Focused with more precision, it can become a powerful source of energy serving progress and change. And when I speak of change, I do not mean a simple switch of positions or a temporary lessening of tensions, nor the ability to smile or feel good. I'm speaking of basic and radical alteration in those assumptions underlining our lives. I have seen situations where white women hear a racist remark, resent what has been said, become filled with fury, and remain silent because they are afraid. That unexpressed anger lies within them like an undetonated device, usually to be hurled at the first woman of color who talks about racism. But anger expressed and translated into our action in the service of our vision, our future is as 
a liberating and strengthening act of clarification. For it is the painful process of this transition, translation, that we identify who are our allies with whom we have grave differences and who are our genuine enemies. Anger is loaded with information and energy. When I speak of women of color, I do not only mean black women. The woman of color who is not black and who charges me with rendering her invisible by assuming that her struggles with racism are identical with my own has something to tell me that I had better learn from, lest we both waste ourselves fighting the truths between us. If I participate, knowingly or otherwise, in my sister's oppression and she calls me on it to answer her anger with my own only blankets the substance of our exchange with reaction. It wastes energy. And yes, it is very difficult to stand still and to listen to another woman's voice delineate an agony I do not share or one to which I myself have contributed. In this place, we speak removed from our more blatant reminders of our embattlement as women. This need not blind us to the size and complexities of the forces mounting against us and all that is most human within our environment. We are not here as women examining racism in a political and social vacuum. We operate in the teeth of a system for which racism and sexism are primary, established, and necessary props of profit. Women responding to racism is a topic so dangerous that when the local media attempt to discredit this conference, they choose to focus upon the provision of lesbian housing as a diversionary device. As if the Hartford Courant dare not mention the topic chosen for discussion here, racism, lest it become apparent that women are in fact attempting to examine and to alter all the repressive conditions of our lives. Mainstream communication does not want women, particularly white women, responding to racism. It wants racism to be accepted as an immutable given in the fabric of your existence, like evening time or the common cold. So we are working in a context of opposition and threat, the cause of which is certainly not the dangers which lie between us, but rather the virulent hatred leveled against all women, people of color, lesbians, and gay men, poor people, against all of us who are seeking to examine the particulars of our lives as we resist our oppressions, moving toward coalition and effective action. Any discussion among women about racism must include the recognition and the use of anger. This discussion must be direct and creative because it is crucial. We cannot allow our fear of anger to deflect us, nor seduce us into settling for anything less than the hard work of excavating honesty. We must be quite serious about the choice of this topic and the angers intertwined within it, because rest assured our opponents are quite serious about their hatred of us and of what we are trying to do here. And while we scrutinize the often painful face of each other's anger, please remember that it is not our anger which makes me caution you to lock your doors at night and not wander the streets of Hartford alone. It is the hatred which lurks in those streets, the urge to destroy us if we truly work for change rather than merely indulge in academic rhetoric. This hatred and our anger are very different. Hatred is the fury of those who do not share our goals and is object to death and destruction. Anger is a grief of distortions between fears, to, between peers, and its object is change. But our time is getting shorter. We have been raised to view any difference other than sex as a reason for destruction. 
and for black women and white women to face each other's anger without denial or immobility or silence or guilt is in itself a heretical and generative idea. It implies peers meeting upon a common basis to examine difference and to alter those distortions which history has created around our difference. For it is those distortions which separates us, and we must ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves, who profits from all of this? Women of color in America have grown up within a symphony of anger at being silenced, at being unchosen, and knowing that when we survive, it is in spite of a world that takes for granted our lack of humanness and which hates our very existence outside of its service. And I say symphony rather than cacophony because we have had to learn to orchestrate those furies so that they do not tear us apart. We have had to learn to move through them and use them for strength and force and insight within our daily lives. Those of us who did not learn this difficult lesson did not survive, and part of my anger is always libation for my fallen sisters. Anger is an appropriate reaction to racist attitudes, as, in, as is fury when the actions arising from those attitudes do not change. To those women here who fear the anger of women of color more than their own unscrutinized racist attitudes, I ask, is the anger of women of color more threatening than the woman hatred that think to tinges all aspects of our lives? It is not the anger of other women that will destroy us, but our refusals to stand still, to listen to its rhythms, to learn within it, <clears throat> excuse me, to move beyond the manner of presentation to the substance, to tap that anger as an important source of empowerment. I cannot hide my anger to spare your guilt, nor hurt feelings, nor answering anger, for to do so insults and trivializes all our efforts. Guilt is not a response to anger. It is a response to one's own actions or lack of action. If it leads to change, then it can be useful, since it is then no longer guilt but the beginning of knowledge. Yet all too often, guilt is just another name for impotence, for defensiveness, destructive of communication. It becomes a device to protect ignorance and the continuation of things the way they are, the ultimate protection for changelessness. Most women have not developed tools for facing anger constructively. CR groups in the past, largely white, dealt with how to express anger, usually at the world of men. And these groups were made up of white women who shared the terms of their oppressions. There was usually little attempt to articulate the genuine differences between women, such as those of race, color, age, class, and sexual identity. There was no apparent need at that time to examine the contradictions of self, women as oppressor. There was work on expressing anger, but very little on anger directed against each other. No tools were developed to deal with other women's anger except to avoid it, deflect it, or flee from it under a blanket of guilt. I have no creative use for guilt, yours or my own. Guilt is only another way of avoiding informed action, of buying time out of the oppressing need to make clear choices, out of the approaching storm that can feed the earth as well as bend the trees. If I speak to you in anger, at least I have spoken to you. I have not put a gun to your head and shot you down in the street. I have not looked at your bleeding sister's body and asked, what did she do to deserve it? This was the reaction of two white women to Mary Church Terrell's telling of the lynching of a pregnant black woman whose baby was then torn from her body. That was in 1921, 
and Alice Paul had just refused to publicly endorse the enforcement of the 19th Amendment for all women by refusing to endorse the inclusion of women, inclusion of, women of color, although we had worked to help bring about that amendment. The angers between women will not kill us if we can articulate them with precision, if we can listen to the content of what is said, the content of what is said, with at least as much intensity as we defend ourselves against the manner of saying. When we turn from anger, we turn from insight, saying we will accept only the designs already known, deadly and safely familiar. I have tried to learn my anger's usefulness to me as well as its limitations. For women raised to fear, too often anger threatens annihilation. In the male construct of brute force, we were taught that our lives depended upon the goodwill of patriarchal power. The anger of others was to be avoided at all costs because there was nothing to be learned from it but pain, a judgment that we had done, that we had been bad girls, come up lacking, not done what we were supposed to do. And if we accept our powerlessness, then of course any anger can destroy us. But the strength of women lies in recognizing differences between us as creative and in standing to those distortions which we inherited without blame, but which are now ours to alter. The angers of women can transform difference through insight to power. For anger between peers births change, not destruction. And the discomfort and sense of loss it often causes is not fatal, but a sign of growth. My response to racism is anger. That anger has eaten clefts into my living only when it remained unspoken, useless to anyone. It has also served me in classrooms without light or learning where the work and history of black women was less than a vapor. It has served me as fire in the ice zone of uncomprehending eyes of white women who see in my experience and the experience of my people only new reasons for fear or guilt. And my anger is no excuse for not dealing with your blindness, no reason to withdraw from the results of your own actions. When women of color speak out of the anger that laces so many of our contacts with white women, we are often told that we are creating a mood of hopelessness, preventing white women from getting past guilt or standing in the way of trusting communication and action. All these quotes come directly from letters to me from members of this organization within the last two years. One, one, one woman wrote, because you were black and lesbian, you seem to speak with the moral authority of suffering. Yes, I am black and lesbian. And what you hear in my voice is not fury, not suffering, anger, not moral authority. There's a difference. To turn aside from the anger of black women with excuses or the pretext of intimidation is to award no one power. It is merely another way of preserving racial blindness, the power of unaddressed privilege, unbreached, intact. Guilt is only another form of, object of objectification. Oppressed peoples are always being asked to stretch a little more to bridge the gap between blindness, blindness and humanity. Black women are expected to use our anger only in the service of other people's salvation or learning, but that time is over. My anger has meant pain to me, but it has also meant survival. And before I give it up, I'm going to be sure that there is something at least as powerful to replace it on the road to clarity. What woman here is so enamored of her own oppression that she cannot see her heel print upon another woman's face? What woman's terms of oppression have become precious and necessary to her as a ticket into the fold of righteous away from the cold winds of self-scrutiny? I am a lesbian woman of color whose children eat regularly because I work in a university. 
if their if their full bellies make me fail to recognize my commonality with a woman of color whose children do not eat because she cannot find work or who has no children because her insides are rotted from home abortions and sterilization if i fail to recognize the lesbian who chooses not to have children the woman who remains closeted because her homophobic community is her only life support the woman who chooses silence instead of another death the woman who is terrified lest my anger trigger the explosion of hers if i fail to recognize them as other faces of myself then i am contributing not only to each of their oppressions but also to my own and the anger which stands between us then must be used for clarity and mutual empowerment not for evasion by guilt or for further separation i am not free while any woman is unfree even when her shackles are very different from my own and I am not free as long as one person of color remains chained, nor is any of you. I speak here as a woman of color who is not bent upon destruction, but upon survival. No woman is responsible for altering the psyche of her oppressor, even when that psyche is embodied in another woman. I have suckled the wolf's lip of anger, and I have used it for illumination laughter, protection, fire in places where there was no light. No food, no sisters, no quarter. We are not goddesses or matriarchs or edifices of divine forgiveness. We are not fiery fingers of judgment or instruments of flagellation. We are women forced back always upon our women's, our women's, women's power. We have learned to use anger as we have learned to use the dead flesh of animals and bruised, battered, and changing. We have survived and grown, and in Angela Wilson's world, words, we are moving on, with or without uncolored women. We use whatever strengths we have fought for, including anger, to help define and fashion a world where all our sisters can grow, where our children can love, and where the power of touching and women excuse me, where the power of touching and meeting another woman's difference and wonder will eventually transcend the need for destruction. For it is not the anger of black women, which is dripping down over this globe like a diseased liquid. It is not the anger that launches rockets, spends over $60,000 a second on missiles and other agents of war and death, slaughters children in cities, stockpiles nerve gas and chemical bombs, sodomizes our daughters and our earth. It is not the anger of black women, which corrodes into blind, dehumanizing power, bent upon the annihilation of us all unless we meet it with what we have, our power to examine and to redefine the terms upon which we will live and work. Our power to envision and to reconstruct anger by painful anger. Stone upon heavy stone, a future of pollinating difference and the earth to support our choices. We welcome all women who can meet us face to face beyond objectification and beyond guilt. Um, I used to go to Quaker school and um, <laughs> this thing we used to do called a moment of silence, I think it's widespread, um, but that's where I know it from. So I'd like to take a moment of silence now. Um, as I'm sure you've noticed, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and when I made the first few, I was thinking, oh, it's fine, I'll just finish this, and then I will make a new one. 
Um, but I've actually decided I think I'm going to submit this one instead because if I were reading this in person, I would definitely have made a lot of mistakes. Um, so I thought that it would be more real, I guess, if I submitted the one with all of my original mistakes. Um, okay, I cannot wait to see you all um, or to meet you all. And um, I hope you're all safe and healthy and happy. Um, Okay, <laughs> I love you.